Ready to begin. I'll pray for us, and we're going to do the same as last week. If at the end, the last 10 minutes, if we have prayer requests, we just take them straight to the top. If that's all right with everybody, hopefully. You're the boss man. Okay. Father, uh, thanks for gathering us tonight, and I'm thankful for the people that showed up and just allow this time to sharpen us and teach us more about you and what you desire for our lives and specifically what you desire for your church as the book of First, Second, First and Second Timothy and Titus speak about. Uh, you have a design for the church, and that's what Paul's outlining in those three books. So just allow us to understand your design for the church and specifically the governance of the church and thank you for bringing us here safely it's in jesus name that i pray amen, amen. all right so as i was preparing this i you'll you'll i hopefully understand the point the, this little game came to me at the last minute today because i some of my notes came from a guy who would maybe be considered controversial some of the notes I, I was reading a, a um, what do you call it? What do you call a book that outlines? Uh, thank you. I was reading a commentary, uh, and the author of the commentary. I'm glad you showed up. <laughs> I was reading a commentary from a guy who would maybe make some people go. <gasps> so this uh, this little game hopefully proves a point. Okay, so I listened to. I listened to a message not too long ago, and I need some participation in this game. So I listened to a message not too long ago that, that was talking about how in within the church, there's items that are primary, uh, items that are secondary, and items that are tertiary. Or the way I think, I, the way I like to th think about it, no talking, Paul. <laughs> The way I like to think about it is bucket number one items are items that we must all agree upon within the bounds of our church body. Items, item number two, or bucket number two items are, are things that are important, but we don't all have to agree upon them. Meaning we can respectfully disagree on certain things within the church. Item number three, bucket number three are items that really don't matter at all, but people still find a reason to make them worth splitting over or fighting over. And I've got a list. I've got some nice pieces of pink paper out here that uh, go in each bucket. And I will say, I put my, my opinion on the back of which bucket they go in. And... Um, on some of them, I have the, the the number one items are all, they all have number one. It doesn't say one or two, but some of my number two items say two or three. And some of your opinions on that might be different. So would anybody like to come pick one and put it into which bucket that it goes into? Please, because I don't want to do it myself. And if you don't understand exactly, like that one might be confusing to you, pick a different one, but I'll explain them all. <laughs> you know That's that. Funny. We got to get them all, so just grab one. Okay. All right. Sorry. All right. Um, You're overthinking the game. Sorry. Joy. I thought we were supposed to read them all. 
No, just pick one and okay. put it in which bucket yeah, you think it goes in. Which, what's it say? The color of the carpet. Yep. <laughs> That's a bucket number Sorry. three item. It doesn't oh. matter at all. <laughs> all right, Benita, what you got? You don't have to read all of them. Just read one and pick one. Yeah, I should have, I should have explained. I should have explained the rules. I'm not sure about that one either. You got to read your slip of paper. I'll read it for you. It says modern music. Records. I knew what it okay, says. I'm sorry. I'm trying to decide <laughs> whether I think it's two or three. Read it again. Modern music or hymns. Because oh. I'm, you know, I like both. I don't really think it matters. But. <laughs> All right, who's next? Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> so Young Earth, New Earth is one that I found on a list. And Young Earth, I don't, this is a deep, deep dive. But some people would believe that the Earth is only 10,000 years old, where other people believe that. <laughs> the sinfulness of Christ is a number one bucket item. Or the, I'm so sorry. The sinlessness of Christ. <laughs> yeah. Teacher led us astray here. All right, who's next? We got a few more. The Trinity. The Trinity is our number one bucket item. We cannot disagree on the sinlessness of Christ or the Trinity. Do I need to read it for you? Oh, well, no, I got my... I, I, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Yep, salvation comes by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. That's the number one bucket item. All right, we got a few more. Go ahead. Come on, Dale. You got this. So back to my explanation, back to my young earth, new earth explanation is um, some people believe the earth is only 10,000 years old and other people believe that it's bajillion years old. Our understanding of baptism. Controversial, huh? <laughs> All right, a few more. What was our understanding? Okay. There. Okay. Well, we go again. Yeah, sure. Okay. Capital punishment. All right, I'll, I'll play one. Divorce, as it relates to ministry, uh, I have it as a number two item. Anybody else want to go? All right, so the young earth and the new earth, I believe we would all have to agree on that one. Okay. Anybody else? The virgin birth, that's a number one item. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is a number one item, in my opinion, and hopefully in everybody else's. Somebody come pick... There's three more controversial ones, maybe. Women in the church leadership, predestination. Women in the church, predestination. Women in church leadership and predestination. And the last one is drinking alcohol. I would have as a number two item. Okay, so number three items, I have 
or somebody chose the color of the carpet i definitely agree that it is a number three item and modern music or hymns i have as a number two or a number three item um because obviously the music needs to be biblical but the way the the, the church doesn't need to split it's not a number one item the church doesn't need to split because of musical style so it can i think it can be two or three um, number two items, drinking alcohol within reason uh, would be a number two item, I think. Predestination is a number two item. Women in the church, women in church leadership is a number two item. Divorce as it relates to ministry is a number two item. And capital punishment is a number two item. So all these number two items are items that we can uh respectfully disagree on like some people might say uh, divorce for instance say i was divorced uh half the church might say well we can't hire him because he's been divorced and the other half would say divorce there's biblical grounds for divorce uh that's but this is not these are not things that the church should split over uh government not church government but united states government would be an item like, well, he's a he's a he votes Democrat, so I'm not going to church with a Democrat. You know, that's not a number one item. So, number one items are the Trinity, the Gospel of Jesus. I had Young Earth, New Earth as a number two or three item because I don't know we don't I I don't know that we will ever know the answer to that question if. Like predestination, for instance, is a hot button issue that everybody freaks out about. Uh, and that, that that's gonna take me to the point, the whole point of this game is people are so divisive on certain items and predestination being one of them that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you think that God chose before the beginning of time who would be saved and who wouldn't. And people just wig out. And nobody's ever gonna know the answer to that question until we die and Jesus answers it himself. So that's a number two item. So other number one items are the sinlessness of Christ. Our understanding of baptism I had as a number one or two item because I think I think in the walls of this church uh, we should all agree on how baptism happens or we should all be in agreement on believers baptism but I don't think that we should avoid doing ministry with let's say a Presbyterian because they have this is this one is a complex one I think, and I'm not trying to get into, I'm not trying to get into all this too much, but grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone is definitely a number one item, and the virgin birth, the belief, the belief in the virgin birth is a number one item, and the reason, I, I just one, I wanted to have fun and prove a point that that there are things that we cannot, we we have to agree on, we we must see eye to eye on certain things. There's certain things that we must respect each other about. Uh, let's not get in a fist fight about predestination because those are really just opinions. We, we try to formulate opinions based on scripture, but some things are hard to form opinions on. And the color of the carpet does not matter at all. So let's never get in a fight about that. Okay. And the point, the, the reason that this came up is because my commentary was written by John Calvin. And so many of the things, like as divisive as his name is in modern Christianity, um, his commentary was extremely rich, you know, and 
it, it was written in like 15, I don't know, 1560 or something. And uh, it's just crazy how the mention of like certain names just gives us all this anxiety, like, oh, I can't be reading. I can't do this. I can't do that. I if I say his name, people will freak out. Uh, I just thought it was a neat connection to play this game because this this is a real. If all we learn tonight is that there's 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 things that we have to agree on. There's things that we can healthily healthfully disagree on, but still um, serve the Lord together within the church. And we should always know that there's silly things that people fight over that we shouldn't be fighting over. So. I just thought it was a cool lesson. So now let's get into the actual lesson. That took a little bit of time. I hope that was fun for everybody. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, like, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And buttress means foundation. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now let's see what our good, everybody's best friend, John Calvin, has to say. So I'm in to review chapters 1 and 2. So chapters 1 and 2, Paul warns Timothy against false teachers, and uh, he proclaims that Jesus came to save sinners. Um, that was chapter one, I'm sorry. Chapter two said, pray for all people. Men are responsible for some things. Women are responsible for other things. And that there is one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus, no one else. So chapter three is an outline of church government. Um, the overseer would be the... Uh, pastor or the elders and the deacons are the deacons so paul is explaining to timothy that men within the church that are in leadership positions should meet a certain standard so last week we talked about uh how women shouldn't be teaching men and within the church uh and that's sometimes hard to hear or understand fully but then 
But then Paul tells Timothy, the men that do teach must also meet a certain standard. So it's not like we get off scot-free here. <laughs> we have to, we have to be, uh, we have to meet a certain standard. So, in verse one is the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is the pastor or shepherd, he desires a noble task. And um, Calvin outlined that Paul often used the phrase uses the phrase, the saying is trustworthy before he says something of importance. So I looked up the other trustworthy statements that he said. And in First Timothy, I'm not going to read each uh, where it comes from. It either comes, so First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are called the pastoral epistles, which means that Paul is teaching Timothy the role of pastor so that, Timothy and Titus, so that they can become pastors and and uh, lead well and choose men that will assist them so within all of these all of these uh, sayings these trustworthy sayings come from those three pastoral epistles so here they are here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst and the next one here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. The next one, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. The next one says, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And the next one says, But when the kindness of God, the, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. So what Calvin is expressing here is that um, Paul prefaces very important things by the saying is trustworthy, which I couldn't help but to look up the rest of them because I was just curious. I don't have a lot of questions in this uh, lesson. So if you have a question, just interrupt me at any time. There are a few. So Paul's saying that the things that he really holds important, he outlines with, this is a trustworthy saying. Uh, this note just outlines what I said about uh, men that are to teach are held to a, a very high standard. Calvin's summary uh, in the book that I was reading of verse 1 says this, and I liked it. He said, pastoral ministry is not just any kind of work, but it is excellent work. Therefore, it is hard and difficult. For it is a great undertaking to represent God's Son in building up and extending God's kingdom and looking after the salvation of the souls of people whom the Lord himself had bought with his own blood and in ruling the church, which is God's inheritance. So that just brings me to the point of the one, two, and three buckets. Like, though we might disagree with one certain thing that John Calvin said, and I'm not trying to get into Calvinism tonight. I don't, that, that is far from what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm just making the point that um, we can all disagree. 
we remember that man's name for one reason. But, but, but the richness of, of, it, of what he understood and was and documented in his teaching was was true. I don't, I don't know why I'm making such a big deal out of that, but I don't think I even realized that the I just went to the bookstore and picked up a first and second Timothy commentary, and I just noticed like a month ago that it was written by Calvin. So that's just been on my mind today. So the work of a pastor is important work, and it's not it's not like any other job, and that's what Paul's explaining to Timothy, and that's what we should all understand about it. And I have written here that this is why I sometimes get nervous on Sunday mornings because it has nothing to do with my wrinkled shirt that Dale made fun of that one time, although I did cry later on that day. I'm just kidding. But it has nothing to do with my appearance or uh, whatever. It's just the weight of, you know, I'm not here to play church. I'm here to represent God and God's kingdom and to help you all. Uh, and, and you all help me along the way too. But it's not it's not a game. It's eternity. It's not a job for me. It's the weight of souls of people. And that is uh, that's something that that people may or may not understand. Um, well, some people kind of get, they do it just for the glory of it, for the recognition. So instead of being there and, you know, even if they're preaching God's word, but they're doing it to get recognition from themselves and not give the recognition to God and to help bring people closer in a closer relationship with God. Mm-hmm. So they don't hear the right harm yeah. to be the leader. And I, and I understand that there are seasons of life. And right now, I'm, I'm pastoring a church for the right reasons, but there might be a time where I do become egotistical and I, I don't want that to happen. But that hap- you see it happen to people everywhere, you know. So I'm not, I'm not oblivious to the fact that that could take place. Doing the Lord's work in the flesh. Yeah. Where am I at? So these are my words, not John Calvin's words. Church isn't a playground for us to come to on Sunday mornings. It's a lifestyle to live while on earth and on into eternity. Can I get an amen on that one? <laughs> Verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Above reproach always made me nervous when thinking about ministry because I read it, the way I read above above reproach is perfection. Like um, an overseer must be perfect. That's just the way my human mind sees the word reproach. So I have to, every time I see it, I have to think nobody is perfect. You, I'm... Reproach is not defined as perfection. It's it's defined as uh, disgraceful, dishonorable, and scandalous. So, an overseer must be uh, not disgraceful or dishonorable or scandalous. So, well, don't you think that the statements you said a few minutes before that about being nervous when you're out there preaching? Don't you think that stands for that? That you actually are aware that you have to be that person. You know. So that makes you feel what you're saying here. Not that it is, but you know, you feel like you have to be so on guard all the time because 
you're preaching the word. Mm-hmm. You're winning souls to Christ. Yeah. So therefore, that makes you feel that. I think for me, mostly it's I know my own heart. I'm, I'm not. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit in me. I'm talking about my human flesh. I know every thought that I have. I know every temptation that I have, and I think, my goodness, I'm. Am I above reproach? I don't know. I'm feeling pretty sinful, you know, uh, which in itself is healthy to recognize sin in yourself is a is a. And I think really above reproach, you have to keep in mind that um, repentance should be your number one, not your number one, but you should always be repentant. Like we're all going to sin, but we shouldn't be blind to our sin. We should be aware of our sin. And and I read too, like the closer you get, the, the more connected you get to God, the more sinful you recognize you are. So I must be really connected to God. <laughs> that was kind of a bad joke. But but it really is true. Like the more spiritually mature that I feel that I get, at the same time, the more broken and lost and, and just not disgusting I feel. At the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the more I, I'm aware of my sin and it's just a constant... It's a constant internal battle, and I don't know. Uh, and I think that's why Paul said, I say it at least once a week, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a rich man I am. I, that's what he meant. He's like, my gosh, this life is awful, and I'm ready for it to be over, and I'm ready to be with Jesus. Do you think sometimes we, he makes us aware of that just so we stay, we'll stay closer to him? Mm-hmm. Instead of like the you, he talked about, he has the thorn in the side. You have, if you don't have any issues, if you don't have, if you don't recognize your sin and you and you have all the comforts in the world, why would you have any need for Christ? You're fine on your own. You're you're taken care of. So uh, like a couple of weeks ago, when I said I was justifying some of the ones I did, some of the sins I was doing at one point in time, because I was justifying them. It wasn't making me become closer to God to help me, you know, correct that sin. So by me being aware of it and wanting to do something and feeling convicted of it, then I'm going to be more apt to strengthen my relationship with God. Well, the more you're in the Word and the more you're with other believers, the more, the, the easier it is to recognize, oh, I'm a sinful hot mess. I'm a hot mess. I shouldn't be doing this or that or participating in this or that. Yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. So everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God, and um, but what he what what Paul is saying here is that uh, to be a pastor, our lives cannot be in shambles, and everyone who is considering pastoral ministry must be able to thoroughly examine their life. And uh, is it in verse the same verse that it says, "Husband of one wife." Yeah, in verse 2. Uh, this doesn't mean, well, from my opinion, my bucket number two opinion is that this doesn't mean that a man that has been through divorce cannot be a pastor. Contextually, some of the Jews participated in polygamy, which means that they had more than one wife, and Paul was warning that this should not be the case. Uh, so I believe that if a man has been divorced on biblical grounds such as whatever adultery or or I can't remember all the biblical grounds for divorce but there they exist I believe that a man can still pastor a church 
Is anybody? But do you think we've got to remember when it's in trouble? Because a lot of people back then did have more than one wife. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's what he's warning against. That's what Paul's warning against because the Jews were used to their tradition was. I think only certain. I don't think all Jews participated in polygamy, but some did. So he, they must have been, the Jews in Ephesus must have been because that was the warning, that was the context. He was saying. So I think that was the context that he was giving us to back in his day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. Uh, I don't know that this is necessary and it's, I hate to even say this word inside a church building, but in our context today, pornography runs far more rampant than polygamy. And I'm comfortable saying in saying that, you know, we hear the word polygamy and I'm like, I don't know any polygamists, but I know pornography runs rampant, you know, across the world. Um, I'm comfortable to say that Paul would warn us of that would be his warning to us today is that pastors shouldn't be participating in polygamy or pornography and neither should anyone else who believes. And I just felt like putting that in there, so I did. Sober-minded must also still be in verse 2. And the first thing that we think of when we think of sober-minded is alcohol or drunkenness. And to be sober-minded... In this, he does he does reference drunkenness in uh, the deaconship, but uh, to be sober minded means to be watchful, which also means I mean if we're drunk we're not watchful, but it ultimately means to be watchful at all times and to pay attention. So, does it mean don't get drunk? Yes, it does, but it also means be watchful at all times. And respectable in verse 2 means to behave decently in honesty. And obviously hospitable means to be welcoming. Able to teach. Pastors should be able to teach in a way that the Word of God is applicable and is a benefit to the listeners. So we have our first question. Do you think that someone's teaching can be offensive to us and beneficial at the same time? And the reason I the reason I pose that question, excuse me, because it's because able to teach says pastors should be able to teach in a way that the word of God is applicable and is a benefit to the listeners. So we don't want to teach in a way that makes people angry. Like if I was to come in here and say, y'all all sin and you're going to hell if you don't repent. Well, that is true, but nobody wants, that's not a good delivery of the message. Um, and if I did that week in and week out, you all, this church would, you all would fire me. Huh? The once in a while don't hurt. That's right. And I'm going to prove. <laughs> so, so the question is, do you think that someone's teaching, or, or think of an example. Uh, let's have a discussion here. Do you think that someone's teaching can be offensive to us and beneficial at the same time? You have to set this on toes sometimes. I think so too. But you, you do it in a way that in love, the Bible yeah. says, you know, when you discipline in numerous places, you got to do it in love. So if you can get up and say, you're being bad. <laughs> I learned it from you. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yep. 
And sometimes I'm sorry to do it. I'm not going to have that one master. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And everybody else said, that's stupid. That meant nothing. What are you talking about? Yeah. And that's just an understanding, too, of like uh, the church. And by the church, I mean saved Christians in the church must realize that. Uh, that's why I wanted to say last week the word of God is sufficient. When, when I read that whole Hebrews 11 chapter, like, this is enough. Me adding to it might be of benefit but the word is sufficient so please if you're not entertained by you know well he really brought it last week but this week was kind of lame it's the word of god that does the work it's not really i mean i a, pre, a preacher pastor is supposed to expound on the word but let's understand that the word is sufficient so i'm going to prove or my my thought process i'm not going to prove it that my thought my answer to the question is, can someone's teaching be offensive and beneficial at the same time? My answer is yes. As the Word of God is shaping us, sometimes we can become offended by what we're learning, primarily because if we are following Jesus, we are dying to ourselves. And as selfish as we are, cutting sin out of our lives is not easy. And I'm going to do my best right now to be an offensive benefit to the men in the room. Every man in here is an adulterer. Does anybody agree or disagree with that? Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, He says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, I do not live in the mind of every man, but I would venture to guess that every man in his life has had a lustful desire for a woman that was not or is not his wife. So if you say that you're not an adulterer, you're also a liar. <laughs> Can we agree on that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, sometimes you have to be offensive, so you could examine your own heart and have a heart change, you know? Well, it, the, a verse like that helps me realize, like, um, you know, I've, I've not committed I, I am an adulterer, as the verse says. I, I, I have had lustful desires for women, as everybody biologically has those desires, unfortunately. But, but, but when you think, well, I'm not an adulterer. Really? You've never, you've never done this? Or you think, oh, I don't have any sin in my life. Well, that's not a place that's not healthy. We all have sin. So... Verses like this, so you might read them, you think, well, that's not me. I haven't done that. Uh, well, you better check yourself because <laughs> you're probably more sinful than you realize. And and pride, I can't quote it exactly, but isn't it pride is the worst sin of all, right? Like, can somebody look that up? Where is that at? I'd probably take a phone for that. Yeah, but, yes, I, but I think it's outlined somewhere that it's... It's the word. I don't know. It's not. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I should stop talking about that. Somebody fact check me on pride being the worst of sins or a verse related to that. But if you think about it, you think, well, I'm not a sin. I don't sin. Uh, 
you're sinning right now just by having that thought or or to hold yourself in high regard uh i'm not an adulterer well just because you don't act on something doesn't mean your heart's right so let's go on to verse three i don't think we're gonna get through all this not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. So Paul here does address alcohol and drunkenness. And um, the notes say, A pastor should not be a heavy drinker that lets alcohol or any drug rule their life. And the King Ver- oh, shoot. the King James Version says, uh, Not given to wine. So this is a charge to pastors. The charge is to not let alcohol consume you or control you. This same charge goes to all believers. This The charge is not full abstinence from alcohol, but uh, I, I was sitting in a class one time at seminary, and he said, he said I, I do have a stance. He never answered it. I had to ask him independently what his stance was, but he said, I do have a stance on alcohol use. Uh, because he was touching on some of this stuff, and um, he his stance was nowhere in the Bible does it say do not ever drink alcohol. But he said we shouldn't give the devil a foothold in any way whatsoever. Which means if it's a bit of temptation, then just resist it. No, and it doesn't even necessarily that doesn't only speak about alcohol. It speaks about. Uh, flirting okay if flirting with even though you might you might envision it as friendliness at work or whatever if you're giving the devil even a small the smallest of openings to destroy your marriage uh you should run all the way as fast as you can away from the situation the same with alcohol or the same with um money temptation he just said why would i give the devil a foothold in my life um in any facet so that was his stance so his stance was total abstinence from alcohol but you gotta remember back then wine was served almost all the meals and christ called that was the first miracle made wine yeah so, I think it means don't drink an access and become drunk. Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm not against the or use of alcohol. Have it bring your witness. Yeah. If somebody that is watching, that you're going to make them stumble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By all means, don't take that drink. Yeah, don't yeah. drink in front of people that are fighting sobriety. Well, I think anything can be can be a foothold for the devil depending on, on what your sin nature is. You know, for all of us, that might be something different. Some people are more prone to lie. Some people are more prone to sexual sins. Some people are more prone to drunkenness. And it's something you have to recognize in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're recovering alcohol, then yeah, you should do that because it's a, it's a, it's a gateway. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, you have to examine yourself over and over again and say, what, what is leading me into sin? And examine whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the point really isn't about, I don't have it. I mean, moderate drinking doesn't, the Southern Baptist Convention would slap me on the back of the head for saying this probably. It doesn't bother me. But the, the, uh, the, the problem is just 
we we want to flirt and i'm guilty of this too i don't mean sexually flirt i mean we want to flirt with sin where we get little dribbles of enjoyment from certain things but we know where to draw the line but what we really should as we pursue holiness we should move away from flirting with sin in general because it is dangerous because that little that little bit of activity could become a wildfire you know verses four and five let me back up drunkenness can lead to violence and quarreling and violence doesn't have to be physical our words can cause harm in the lives of others by way of gossip and slander and we must be aware of this so the verse says something about violence and violence doesn't necessarily mean physical violence it means a a pastor should not be prone to gossip and slander So verses four and five, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, how will he care for God's church? So if a father is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the family, his children should follow his positive discipline. If if the children don't, he may not be a very good leader of the family. Or the children are just little black-hearted sinners. <laughs> As we all are. <laughs> you are laughing like I was speaking about my own children or something. <laughs> so, but if a man can raise up his family well to know the Lord, he should be capable of under-shepherding the church as long as he meets all the other requirements. And somebody said this to me as we as we think about, you know, people always people often say like a pastor is a, is shepherding a flock. And my previous pastor said that I'm I don't consider myself a shepherd, and I'm sure this is a well known statement. He said I'm, but I'm just a man, a head sheepdog. Like I, there is a shepherd. I'm just I'm working under him to keep the sheep in line. And I thought that was a neat uh, uh, analogy. So. I just have here, um, just because I'd like to know, like, who are some of your all's favorite pastors and why? Like, in in real life, who have you learned under, and and who do you who do you listen to currently? Maybe you don't listen to anybody, but me, for example, um, I have two. Of course, I respect the pastors at my old church, and they've taught me a whole lot, but. I have two that I primarily listen to during the week. Do you have anybody that you that you do listen to? Does anybody want to share any? Why do you think you listen to the people that you listen to? Besides me, because you have to, because I'm here. <laughs> I'll, I'll share. Uh, I'll be used to put words here, and he gave us uh, commentaries, so I use that one a lot. And I find it to be pretty uh, sound and easier to understand than some of the other commentaries that I mm-hmm. that I have seen. And but primarily, I use that like as reading material. Um, and then I like the John Whitney book about the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Discipline. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it is great. Um, but that was temporary, you know. I just like listen to it like it's a book. Yeah. And then I go back to it as a reference. Mm-hmm. But that was very helpful. Yes, that book is good. 
Thanks, Gregory. <laughs> You're welcome. We should get him to come here and teach spiritual disciplines because he does awesome with it. I think I listen to, my favorite to listen to is David Platt. And the reason for that is out of all the people, like uh, all the famous, famous pastors that I find, he does, he writes books and he promotes books uh, or whatever, but it drives me nuts when like all I hear people doing is self-promotion. Self, you know, right? I got a new book. It's my seventh book. It's like, how many books are you going to write? How much money do you really need? Is this, are you writing these books to edify the church or are you writing these books to fill your bank account? And maybe they are. Anyways, David Platt to me, out of, he just seems to have his mind focused on doing everything he possibly can on the earth while he's on earth to serve the Lord. Like he's adopting children. He's serving the places that most people don't even consider serving. He's been here and there. I just really respect uh, his faith and his commitment to the faith. And he's not trying to... He's really not trying to entertain. But then the other guy that I listen to is entertaining. He's just a redneck hillbilly funny guy. But his the, his theology is really good. And he's the one I'm gonna I was telling some of these people that after we finish first Timothy, I want to go right into Second Timothy, but it's a video series and uh, I'll just facilitate the, the discussion after that. And the guy that I'm talking about is the one that does the, the video series. And he's just He's entertaining and down to earth. And sometimes we just, not that we want to be entertained, but I can relate with that guy because I think, oh, if he can pastor a church and and people can come to Christ because of his faithfulness, so can I because I'm just a silly little hillbilly kid from Springfield, you know. So it gives me hope. But but I don't know. I just wanted to share that. We need to find some people throughout the week that, that we can learn from and hear from but we need to do it with wisdom and they need to meet these though i can't i mean i can't call up david platt on the phone and be like hey uh, do you do you meet the standards of pastor uh based on first and second timothy or not but uh i just want to share that i like my uh, winger somebody else would you i don't know that he's really I don't really listen to sermons specifically by him, but he tends to go into really good discussions about maybe controversial topics and or maybe certain teachings of the Bible. And he he takes it all apart and talks about different linguistics and cultural references and how that's applied. So I I feel like that's really good strength and cool for me to listen to while I'm doing the dishes or what that bit. So Verse number six. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall short or fall into the condemnation of the devil. When a person first becomes a Christian, they lack spiritual maturity and they don't have much discernment. And Jesus sure has a way of humbling us as time goes along. Even when we are saved, we still perceived that. Sometimes, even when we're saved, we perceive that we are God and we are in control, and it takes plenty of time and holiness for this to subside. So when we first get saved, we might think, you know, I, I battled with, I, or I, I, as I was reading this one, I, I thought, well, I wonder how Paul would uh, define a recent convert. I mean, I've only been a Christian for 
couple of years now, six or seven years or so. Is that a recent convert? Uh, I don't know, probably not six or seven years. <laughs> I don't know that, but yeah, I think it probably has less to do with the time. It probably has more to do with the maturity. But uh, like how long Timothy was there? Because Christ was only here three years. So Timothy could have a lot of that year of experience. Yeah, his ministry lasted three years, you mean? Jesus' ministry was three years. But, but what I'm saying is, the disciples uh, didn't have that many years back in them. Yeah. To be. Verse number seven. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may, might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of a devil. So a pastor should be respected by people outside of the church. Non-believers should recognize a pastor's kindness and innocence toward them, and he should not become angry with, uh, with lost people. Uh, let's see. We can't beat people into submission. Uh... We just need to love people where they are and pray for them. So a pastor shouldn't show up at a gay pride rally and holler, y'all are all going to hell because you're gay. Like uh, a pastor needs to be, nobody wants to, obviously if I did that, you all hopefully would be like, hey, stop doing that. Don't do that. Why would you do that? These people, these people are lost, you know? Don't, do you all agree with that? Y'all don't want me going to the gay pride rally, do you? <laughs> and hollering like an idiot? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> but we just have to have an understanding that not everybody is going to know the Lord. And we that doesn't mean that we can't be friends with them and love them anyways, even if they outright reject it. You know, we just, we still have to love people. Is she going to be okay here? Do we need to check on her? Yeah. All right, Dale, here we go. Qualifications for deacons. Verses, and John, and uh, James, and who else? Tom, and... Uh, yeah. Here's the qualification for deacon. Uh, I can't speak. The qualifications for deacons. The qualifications for deacons are the same as they are for pastor or overseer, except for the ability to teach. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. It basically says the same thing. That responsibility, the responsibility of teaching, is held for pastor or overseer. So a deacon should be a dignified Christian man that takes his faith seriously and is a servant. And deacon actually translates in Greek to servant. And both deacons and pastors should be carefully considered when chosen. I took it easy on you, didn't I? You just have to be above reproach. Verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, met, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world, taking, taken up in glory. So in verses 14, in verse 14, Paul's encouraging Timothy by reminding him that he is attempting to get where Timothy is very soon, 
and he has written him these instructions so that he knows what to do until he arrives. And I, I have noted here that this is wise. We need to take note of, of what Paul's telling Timothy in that we need to surround ourselves within the church. Uh, we need to surround our, ourselves with people that are more spiritually mature than us so that we have guidance as Paul was a guide to Timothy in ministry. And um, the entire purpose of this chapter and these pastoral epistles, which are again, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are in regard to church leadership. Paul's telling Timothy how to carry on as a leader of the church and how to look for and build up and admonish other leaders. So to summarize the importance of this chapter and these three letters, remember these three, three things. The household of God is the church. The church are God's chosen people, and the church is the pillar and foundation of truth, as stated in verse 15. And John Calvin, our best friend, states this in his notes. The church is not being described in any ordinary way when it is pictured as the pillar and foundation of the truth. How could we describe it in a more honorable way? Nothing is more sacred and holy that the truth, that, um, that the truth, I think I wrote this wrong. Nothing is more sacred and holy than the truth that embraces both God's glory and man's salvation. God's word alone gives teaching about how to live and how to find the way to God and his kingdom. The truth is only preserved in the world through the ministry of the church. So a very heavy responsibility rests on pastors and deacons who have been entrusted with the safekeeping of this priceless treasure. So the whole point of the chapter uh, is that we are left, we are on earth to carry on God's truth. God is not physically, he's with us in spirit, but we have the responsibility of carrying on the truth. And that's why the church is so important. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy that the main people in the church need to live a certain way and be held to a certain standard and that things need to go a certain way so that the truth can continue. Because if we just let any old schmuck in here to do whatever they want, how will the truth continue? And I can be a schmuck sometimes. So somebody needs to keep me in check. But the church... Again, back to that statement I made, the church is not a playground. It's a lifestyle to live while on earth and on into eternity. And we need to do things a certain way. We need to live a certain way. And that's what Paul is charging Timothy with, is that, hey, as you live and lead, you need to, you need to meet this requirement and this requirement and this requirement. And anybody else that you're encouraging needs to live this requirement and this requirement and this requirement. And... Uh, I have a whole nother little snippet from Calvin's book, but fortunately for you all, I didn't bring it in here with me and we only have three minutes left and I'm not going to get it and read it. I've done enough reading. So I hope that, I hope that this was an encouragement. I hope it wasn't too terribly boring, but it excites me because God left us a message about how to govern the church and it's a guideline for us to follow and uh, we need all the help we can get. So, and I hope this little bucket game was, we're not gonna fight over the carpets. We're not gonna split because of Calvinism. And we're gonna hold that the gospel is what the word of God says it is. And 
salvation comes from grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and we can pray now. I'm tired of talking.